at the very moment that Russian missiles were raining down on Ukraine, Joe Biden stood before Congress and he seemed to declare victory over Vladimir Putin and his evil empire. This was a surreal contrast. It was difficult to wrap your head around, but no amount of mental gymnastics or rhetorical rubbish could hide the fact that innocent people were dying as Joe Biden dithered. His big announcement during the State of the Union address was to close U.S. airspace to Russian aircraft. What? Putin isn't dropping bombs on Wichita. He's blowing up Kiev and Kharkiv. The port city of Odessa is under siege. Not Odessa in Texas, Joe. Ukraine has been begging the United States for more arms and ammunition, but Biden sent precious few. He thinks his belated financial sanctions and harsh verbal condemnation of Russia will bring Vladimir Putin to his knees. I got news for you, Joe. It won't. Promises and platitudes don't win wars. Weapons do. The Ukrainians need bullets, not words. Grandmothers hurling homemade Molotov cocktails are not terribly effective against Russian tanks. More Javelin anti-tank weapons would help. More anti-aircraft Stinger missiles would be a plus. Last Saturday, Biden finally approved an additional $350 million in military aid to Ukraine. By the time it winds its way through bureaucracy and eventually arrives, the war may be over. It's a paltry amount, but the aid should have been sent weeks or months ago even if courageous Ukrainians managed to stall the Russian onslaught, the weapons that Joe Biden is offering will not be nearly enough. When he ran for president, Biden bragged that he was the only man who could stop Putin's murderous regime from bullying Eastern Europe and invading Ukraine. He promised that democracy would be safe in his hands because he was the only one who had gone, quote, toe-to-toe with Putin. Like so much in Joe Biden's life, it was all a charade. The guy who's been famously wrong about every major foreign policy decision for the last four decades has kept his perfect record intact. Make no mistake, Putin is squarely to blame for Russia's unprovoked attack on a sovereign nation and the murder of its citizens, who yearn for nothing more than their freedom from the bonds of Russian dominion. But Joe Biden's perceived weakness opened the door for Putin to walk right through. Attorney, Fox News legal analyst, and two-time New York Times bestselling author. This is The Brief with Greg Jarrett. I have a warning for you. Inflation and tax hikes are Biden's only way out of our $28 trillion federal debt. So if you have $50,000 or more in your IRA, 401k, or savings, your money is at risk. Learn how you can protect it with physical gold and silver. Call 855-665-0767 to get your free gold IRA kit. That's right. Call 855-665-0767 and my friends at Gold Co. will give you up to $15,000 or more in free silver with a qualified account. Gold Co. has helped thousands of Americans protect their retirement against inflation and tax hikes. So what are you waiting for? Call 855-665-0767. Six seven now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the brief. I'm Greg Jarrett. Not since a young Joe Biden squared off against Corn Pop has our president faced such a cunning and implacable foe in Vladimir Putin. To hear Biden tell it, Corn Pop was a bad dude. But fearless Joe wasn't scared. He stood his ground and bested his enemy with wit and courage. And, oh yeah, a six-foot chain. The legend of Corn Pop was born. And Corn Pop was a bad dude. 
and he ran a bunch of bad boys. And I did. Yeah, he, and back in those days, to show how things have changed, one of the things you had to use, if you used pomade in your hair, you had to wear a bathing cap. And so he was up on the board, wouldn't listen to me. I said, hey, Esther, you, off the board, or I'll come up and drag you off. Well, he came off, and he said, I'll meet you outside. That improbable tale was one of the many goofy anecdotes that Biden loved to peddle on the campaign trail. Joe, the tough guy lifeguard, confronting a fierce gang member circa 1962. In the annals of farcical puffery, that one belongs in the Smithsonian. We're supposed to believe that a gangbanger was named after a Kellogg's sugar sweet cereal? Maybe Joe was really armed with a box of lucky charms. Like so many of his far-fetched fables, Biden was trying to convince American voters that he had the right stuff, the fortitude, the steely resolve to lead America in a turbulent world where treacherous adversaries like Vladimir Putin can pose an existential threat. In Joe's mind, Vlad is nothing more than a modern-day corn pop, a gangster with menacing intentions. But instead of brandishing a razor blade, as Mr. Pop is alleged to have done, Russia's murderous megalomaniac is now threatening nukes. Not to worry, Indomitable Joe is vastly experienced in such matter, whether it's blades or nukes. The Russian tyrant will back down because Biden proved he has the metal to deal with the corn pops of the world. Except Putin hasn't backed down. His deadly invasion of Ukraine continues unabated. He hasn't yielded an inch. His crimes against humanity and war atrocities show little sign of slowing down as he forwards his armed forces to decapitate. Kiev's government and subjugate its people. This makes a mockery of Joe Biden's other asinine brag during the 2020 campaign that once Joe took up residency in the White House, Putin would no longer bully Eastern Europe. And gullible voters swallowed his bluster and bombast. Putin knows if I am president of the United States, his days of tyranny and trying to intimidate the United States and those in Eastern Europe are over. I'm going to stand up to him. He's a bully. Reality has turned out to be quite different. Biden's recognized weakness invited Russia's violent assault on Ukraine. Strength deters aggression, but fragility begets war. Instead of restoring world order as he promised, Joe Biden's incompetence helped to produce global chaos. Maybe once upon a time, a guy named Corn Pop took Joe seriously, assuming he ever existed. But it's clear that a real and far more dangerous thug by the name of Vladimir Putin regards Joe as a terminally feeble and inept leader. No amount of transparent puffery has deterred him. The unabashed truth is that Joe Biden has always been something of a fraud, a politician who shamelessly conjures up stories of bravado to craft a false image for self-aggrandizement. It's not an uncommon affliction in Washington. Liars are a dime a dozen. You can spot one on almost any corner. The halls of Congress are filled with them. But Biden has elevated fakery to an art form. He's been prone to crow about anything and everything. His lies, both large and small, are obsessive, as the New York Post observed. Beyond his chronic plagiarism, Joe claimed to have received an advanced degree that he never earned. He can't stop chatting about the fabricated Amtrak story that was debunked long ago. He boasted he drove an 18-wheeler visited a well-known synagogue, was arrested during a civil rights march, and was offered a job at a lumber company. There's not a scrap of evidence that any of that is true. He recently said, just a couple of weeks ago, that he was a lifeguard at a lake that doesn't even exist. 
One of Joe's more outrageous whoppers was his claim that he met with the late Israeli Prime Minister Golda Meir during the Six-Day War in 1967. Never happened. He further claimed that she asked him to be a liaison with the Egyptians. It was pure malarkey to use one of Joe's favorite words. I could spend this entire podcast recounting Joe Biden's prodigious canards, the COVID-19 pandemic, vaccines, inflation, the economy, Afghanistan, our southern border crisis, and so many others. Even CNN chronicled Biden's deceptions. His dishonesty is exceeded only by his endless gaffes. But in peddling his lies, Joe's constant theme has been how tough he is. Of his political opponent, Donald Trump, Biden once said, if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. I guess we were supposed to be impressed by his schoolyard taunt. In the run-up to the presidential election, Biden tweeted, Vladimir Putin doesn't want me to be president. He doesn't want me to be our nominee. And if you're wondering why, it's because I'm the only person in this field who's ever gone toe-to-toe with Putin. Biden never quite explained what he meant by that, toe-to-toe. Maybe it had something to do with the $3.5 million in Russian money that was deposited into Hunter Biden's bank account. That might be Joe's idea of, you know, playing footsies with Putin. It's obvious that Mad Vlad has never been impressed by Joe Biden. As I explained in my last podcast, the Russian dictator took the measure of Biden's frivolousness when he fled Afghanistan last August in a bungled withdrawal that cost the lives of 13 American heroes. Biden engineered what can only be described as an historic foreign policy disgrace. When he bugged out in his hasty retreat, Biden left American citizens behind. He abandoned our Afghan allies. And he gifted to the Taliban tens of millions of dollars worth of aircraft, armored vehicles, and sophisticated weapons systems. Biden's weakness squandered both U.S. power and credibility. After Biden's blunders in Afghanistan, Putin began amassing his military at Ukraine's border. No coincidence. The staging for his full-scale war began in earnest. Joe's abysmal failure in Afghanistan set the table for another failure in Ukraine. The scenario that eventually played out there is the exact opposite of what Joe Biden predicted and promised. In a 2019 campaign speech, he warned, quote, Imagine what he, Trump, can do in another year. Imagine what can happen to Ukraine. But nothing happened on Trump's watch. Putin did not invade Ukraine during the four years that Donald Trump occupied the White House. That was not happenstance. The Kremlin strongman knew that such an aggressive move would never be tolerated. He feared trifling with Donald Trump, whom he perceived as a strong-willed leader. When Biden took office in early 2021, our new president wasted little time pleasing and appeasing Vladimir Putin. He dropped Trump's sanctions against Vlad's Nord Stream 2 natural gas pipeline, thereby increasing Putin's power over European nations that were dependent on Russia for their energy needs. At the same time, Biden shut down our own Keystone XL pipeline, heaped onerous regulations on our energy industry, and canceled new oil and gas leases on federal land. With the stroke of a pen, Joe Biden transformed America from energy independent and a net exporter of oil to a nation that is now energy reliant on foreign sources. Prices at the pump skyrocketed as Americans had to dig deeper into their pockets to fill up their tanks. Higher gas prices also dramatically increased transportation costs for nearly all products of commerce throughout our nation. That expense 
tripled and was promptly passed on to U.S. consumers in the form of higher prices. Widespread inflation has hit working Americans hard in their wallets, just as they were struggling to overcome the devastating effects of the misbegotten pandemic restrictions. As Biden made the U.S. weaker, he helped Putin make Russia stronger. Biden's logic in all of this is shockingly warped. He cited global warming as the reason for canceling our pipeline. It would have a negative environmental impact, he claimed. Well, if that's true, why did he give the green light to Putin's pipeline? It makes no sense. But it's actually worse than that. America is now emitting much more carbon dioxide into the environment without a pipeline than with it. And the reason is quite simple. Keystone was designed to operate entirely on renewable energy. And without it, we're forced to utilize trucks and trains to transport hundreds of thousands of barrels of crude oil per day. That spews enormous amounts of carbon into the atmosphere by burning dirty diesel fuel. Killing Keystone did not kill America's demand for energy. It has to be transported with or without the pipeline. Neither Joe Biden nor his climate activist partners have ever been able to grasp this fundamental concept. Their ill-conceived and environmental agenda managed to exacerbate greenhouse gas pollution, not improve it. It was buffoonery on steroids. This is what happens when debate over climate change solutions is fueled by political hysteria instead of facts, science, and technology. And now, with our energy independence gone thanks to Biden, we are forced to import huge supplies of oil from overseas, including, get this, Russia. That is the most insane aspect of all. The United States is actually helping to fund Russia's murderous war on Ukraine. How? Well, we buy more than 600,000 barrels of their crude oil per day. That means tens of millions of American dollars pouring into Russia's government coffers on a daily basis. Since oil revenue supports their economy and finances the Russian military, Biden is helping Putin slaughter the very Ukrainians that Joe claims to be helping. If Joe had a backbone, he'd ban all Russian oil imports. But he won't do that because he backed America into a dire economic corner with his reckless executive orders and regulations that diminished our own thriving energy industry. Biden promised he would stand up to Putin. Instead, he did the opposite. He enabled, he emboldened a bloodthirsty tyrant. He mishandled and misjudged Putin, as only a feeble and feckless leader can. History will no doubt conclude that the lawless and horrifying invasion in Ukraine is a humiliating defeat for Joe Biden. He promised to prevent Putin from launching a war in Ukraine. He failed miserably. In a moment that demanded strong leadership, Biden seemed bewildered and lethargic. His feint during the State of the Union fooled no one. Without a shred of regret, tremulous Joe has now reversed himself and reimposed Trump's sanctions on Russia's pipeline. But he waited too long before imposing economic penalties, and he overcalculated their deterrent effect. Putin knew those sanctions would happen eventually. He spent years stockpiling enormous currency reserves and devising ways to evade the impact of sanctions by replacing Western imports. Russians will certainly feel the sting of the sanctions, but 
so will Americans as they pay the heavy price for global energy disruptions and the spiraling cost of imported oil and refined gasoline. The crisis will persist as long as Biden fumbles and stumbles. If Joe was smart, and he decidedly is not, he would move immediately to reinvigorate America's domestic energy production and reset our course back toward independence. But he won't do it. Not a word about that in his State of the Union address. More than anything, Biden fears the criticism of vindictive progressives who have hijacked his agenda and his presidency. The recrimination happened anyway. Right after his speech, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who serves as the grand poobah of the squad, blasted Biden for not being green enough. In his speech, Biden delivered lofty words of support for Ukraine, but his anemic actions on the country's behalf speak volumes. Innocent civilians are caught in an iron grip of human suffering and death. Yes, Putin is the principal villain, but our American president is not blameless. His deficiencies and frailties played a direct role. Do you want to see a real leader in action? Take a close look at Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky. Biden offered to evacuate him. After all, that's what Joe would do, retreat. Zelensky's heroic response will long be remembered. Quote, the fight is here. I need ammunition, not a ride. Zelensky is a profiling courage. He's the anti-Joe Biden. Unshaven and dressed in green fatigues, Ukraine's tireless leader stands shoulder to shoulder with his troops and everyday citizens as they fight for their freedom and their lives. He refuses to flee, even though Putin has sent more than 400 specially trained mercenaries into Ukraine to murder him. Zelensky's public pleas for help are credited with moving Western nations to provide urgent aid and weaponry. On Tuesday, in a highly emotional and unscripted speech via video to the European Parliament, Zelensky spoke sincerely from the heart. There wasn't a dry eye in the house as he received a long-standing ovation at the conclusion of his request for his country to be admitted to the EU. That is the hallmark of a strong leader, a person who can speak with both passion and conviction without reliance on a teleprompter or reading the words written for him by others. It's something that Joe is incapable of doing. Zelensky makes Biden look very small by comparison. In cities and streets across their besieged nation, Ukrainians have demonstrated uncommon valor in the face of adversity. They have shown the kind of bravery, strength, and resolve that Joe Biden pretended to have, but didn't. With his silly corn pop stories, Biden posed as something he was not. Who knows, maybe Corn Pop was the real deal, but Joe Biden has proven to be a charlatan, a pugilistic pursuer, or as Holden Caulfield would say, a complete phony. Joining me now to talk about all of this are my two guests from the Government Accountability Institute, Peter Schweitzer, its president and author of several best-selling books, including his latest number one New York Times bestseller. It's entitled Red-Handed, How American Elites Get Rich Helping China Win. By the way, chapter two, devoted to uh, Joe Biden and his son, Hunter Biden. Also with us, Peter's colleague, Eric Eggers, who is vice president of the Government Accountability Institute and co-host to the podcast, The Drill Down, also an author and documentary producer. Gentlemen, thank you very much for being with us. Good to see you. Uh, Peter, let me start with you. If nothing else, Vladimir Putin 
is, I think, an, a very astute observer of Western leadership, in particular American presidents. Did Joe Biden's perceived weakness, especially after the bungled withdrawal in Afghanistan, contribute to Putin's calculation that he could get away with invading Ukraine? I think there's no question about it, Greg. Um, if you look at what the Biden position was before the invasion, uh, it was, you know, they're probably going to do this. Uh, we're not going to want to provoke anything. So we're going to give them limited military support. Um, but it was basically no expression of this is what's going to happen to you if you do this. Uh, I'm absolutely convinced that if they had actually taken the hard line that they're now taking after after the invasion that theoretically could have deterred Putin now of course that deterrence would rest on Joe Biden's track record not just what he says but I think there would have been a decent shot because I think Moscow is actually shocked at how the Europeans have responded absent Biden's leadership uh, so yes I, I think that they saw weakness um, they took advantage of it and now you've got a lot of people in the West standing up firm if they'd done that before I think the invasion could have been prevented you know a Fox News a White House correspondent um, posed the question to Biden before the invasion, why not institute sanctions now as a deterrence in advance? And he uh, he dismissed it as a, a utterly stupid question. It wasn't. It's exactly the point you're making now. And now, arguably, sanctions are, are too late. But Eric, uh, it's no coincidence, in my judgment, that Putin chose not to wage war against Ukraine during Donald Trump's presidency, uh, you know, Mad Vlad may be an unhinged megalomaniac, but he's not stupid. And I think he feared the consequence. If he did that then, he doesn't seem to fear it now. Your thoughts? Yeah, Greg, I think it's a great point. I would say a couple of the things have contributed to it. Number one is, um, as much as I hate to say it, I think Peter Schweitzer is correct that he, uh, I think he, I think he does sense that there's a bit more of a green light now for kind of unchecked Russian aggression. But I'd also say this, and you know, we've all seen the picture of Vladimir Putin with his shirt off. So my man knows how to feature some strengths. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the things that he is now featuring is the strength of Russia's energy position. And I think right. that's the other kind of key component to this is if there's one significant difference between. Joe Biden and Donald Trump, other than like maybe like executive functioning and cognitive ability, it would potentially right. be the fact that we no longer have been keeping the Nord Stream 2 from going online. So now that that's been 100% green lit and you now know you've got guaranteed revenue. I think, Greg, you pointed out actually before we started talking about how much Russian oil we continue to buy here in the United States and what that means to Russia's military capacity between that and the fact that because of Nord Stream 2, Vladimir Putin essentially is almost like an oil czar for Europe, that he's, he's, he's almost like too big to fail. He's too big to sanction. He's too strong to rein in. So I would say between the perceived Joe Biden weakness and Russia's newfound strength in the energy sector, I think those are probably the two biggest factors that have contributed. Yeah, you know, Peter, um, there's no question in my mind, I said this in my opening remarks, that, that Joe Biden pleased and appeased Vladimir Putin. Uh, you know, he dropped Trump's sanctions on Russia's Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Uh, and Seth Jones in the Wall Street Journal has correctly pointed out that appeasing dictators only increases their appetite. He's absolutely right about that. Is, is that part of the lesson here? And it's a lesson, by the way, that, that Joe Biden, with all his self-described foreign policy experience, failed to comprehend. Yeah, I think you're exactly right, Greg. And there's a long history of this uh, for Joe Biden and for, frankly, other members of the Washington foreign policy establishment. I remember uh, Joe Biden back in 2001 uh, said of Vladimir Putin uh, that he was going to be another modernizer. He was going to be another Peter the Great, uh, who, of course, you know, led to uh, a lot of Western features of, of the Russian government. Um, totally wrong about that. Uh, and this fits the pattern. We have the same thing going on with China. They did the same thing with Russia. This idea that they, they kind of want to be like us, Greg. So if we just give them access to technology to our market, uh, the 
the leaders are going to become prosperous. That's really what they're interested in. Failing to accept the fact that people like Xi and Putin see the world very differently than they do and that we do as American people. If Vladimir Putin was only interested in the prosperity of the Russian people, uh, he would not be a dictator. He would not have gone into Ukraine. He would not be suppressing individual freedom in Russia. That's not what he's interested in. He's interested in power and reestablishing the Soviet empire as he sees it. And the problem is, Greg, Putin has told us that. He's told Joe Biden that. And it's somehow Joe Biden doesn't want to believe what Vladimir Putin is actually telling him. It's 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 astonishing when you look at the history of it. And Greg, not to sort of apologize for Joe Biden, but I would say that one of the things that we've talked about in some of the research we've done historically is Joe Biden is the latest in a long line of, unfortunately, Democrat elected officials that have consistently appeased or enabled and even at times courted Vladimir Putin's participation in Western capitalism, Western markets. I mean, that, that was one common theme in 2001. Both George W. Bush and Joe Biden had very affirming and flattering comments about Vladimir Putin. But then you look at all the things that happened when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State yep. and the Russian reset. And I mean, we've written the books right. about the fact that, you know, Russia was paying uh, for speeches for Bill Clinton while as Secretary of State, Hillary helped facilitate the transfer of U.S. energy assets. Well, there's that theme again mm-hmm. to right. Russian control. and the It Clinton's- was in Peter's book, Clinton Cash. Right? Well, I, I had a little bit to do with that book, Greg. So no. just, you know, I mean- Come on, seriously? You, what, did you, what did you help with? The print? <laughs> he approved the jacket design. Wait, I got Peter lunch when he was writing it, you know? <laughs> no, but, he, but it's exactly right. It's a key, it's a key component. It's a key element. And I would say that that and then you fast forward then a couple years ago, one of the things that we did a report on is Skolkovo, which is Russian's equivalent of Silicon Valley. And we had 28 U.S. companies enter into these tech transfer partnerships, despite admonitions from the U.S. Department of Defense. And oh, by the way, 17 of those 28 companies also happen to be Clinton Foundation donors. So this has been a long history of participation and appeasement, to use your term. So I think it's sort of like, like we're now looking at the tip of the iceberg, but unfortunately this thing's been emerging from beneath the Siberian Sea for a couple of decades. Yeah, I mean, I've read read your stuff on this. I, I ran through about 10 packs of e-cigarettes just uh, trying to uh, wade my way through it. Um, I digress. You know, but, but let's pursue this a bit more. You know, Peter, Joe Biden took America from energy independence to a country now reliant in part on foreign sources for oil and indeed refined gasoline and other petroleum products. And that has caused American prices to go up, not just for what Americans are paying at the pumps, but for most goods, because the increased transportation costs get passed on to consumers. And it is obviously contributing to our spiraling out of control inflation that Joe said, by the way, would only be uh, transitory and temporary. And Yeah, but here's the truly insane part of this. We import Russian oil, roughly 600,000 barrels of Russian oil per day. And the American dollars we're giving Putin helps to fund his military and in turn his invasion of Ukraine. I mean, if Joe Biden was sincere in wanting to come to the aid of Ukraine, shouldn't he shut off the spigot of tens of millions of American dollars wired every day to Russia for their oil? I mean, Biden isn't even targeting Russian oil and natural gas exports in his sanctions. We haven't targeted their energy sector. I mean, it, it makes no sense. No, it, it, it absolutely makes no sense. Um, uh, the best that could be said is it's absolute stupidity. Uh, But I think it goes deeper than that. And look, part of the problem is, Greg, that uh, Joe Biden came into office and he made as his priority a move to renewable energy. And he basically went to war with our oil and natural gas industry. Uh, So our production is down from where it was. He certainly didn't allow the Keystone Pipeline. So, you know, their concern is if we cut off Russian oil, it's going to lead to more inflation. Well, we're in that kind of position because Biden does not have a sense of what is going on uh, in the country and what's going on in the world. And I'll show you, you know, this, this, this Lexus point of energy and economy. 
here's what real leadership looks like. Um, back in the 1980s, the Reagan administration, it's the height of the Cold War, going toe-to-toe with the evil empire. The Reagan administration, Bill Casey, the CIA director, George Shultz, the secretary of state, Cap Weinberger, the secretary of defense, they concoct a strategy. They go to Saudi Arabia, which at that time is the big swing producer on the planet, and they basically strike a bargain, and the Saudis more than triple their energy production, tanking international oil prices. The, the price of a barrel of oil goes from like $70 a barrel down to 16 Right. Who gets destroyed as a result of that? The Soviet Union, because they rely on like 80% of their hard currency comes from energy. It helped bring down the evil empire. Joe Biden is doing the opposite. He's doing the opposite. He's not slashing oil prices. He's not ramping up production. He's curtailing it so that Vladimir Putin, the heir to the Soviet Union, now has more money. I mean, it's it's crazy when you look at what's actually happened in the context of what real leadership 40 years ago looked like. He's curtailing it while at the same time, one of his longtime advisors is actually the lobbyist for the Russian oil energy company, right? Vin Roberti. And that's one of the things we've talked about in previous episodes. And also, who's he connected to? He's not connected to U.S. domestic energy traditional powers like oil and gas. He's connected to the emerging green energy markets. The people on his climate advisory and energy advisory team have investments in these green energies, right? So it's not exactly like they're neutral or dispassionate advisors in that sense. Are you suggesting there are financial connections? No, I'm saying you're suggesting that so that we get sued. Like Peter Schweitzer, he's liable. No, you'll both get named. I'm a lawyer. Trust me. They name everybody conceivable as a defendant, so you're both screwed. Um, You guys uh, passed along to me a column. I think it's an an article on, on CNBC's website. Um, and it, uh, it basically says the title of it is Russian backed investment fund tied to influential U.S. corporate consulting firm Tenio. Uh, talk to me about that. Yeah, this is an interesting story, Greg, because the, the, the dark underbelly of what's going on right now in our policy towards Russia is there's, there's a lot of very well connected people who are getting a lot of money being paid by Kremlin or Putin-linked oligarchs. Uh, And Tenio is one of them. Now, what is Tenio? Tenio is a global consultancy. It was started by a couple of Bill Clinton's aides. Um, It's now become bipartisan. So one of their senior advisors, board members, is Paul Ryan, the former Republican vice presidential candidate. Uh, And the article points out is that one of their clients is a Russian oligarch, very close to Putin, Uh, who is paying them a million dollars a year to sort of push his narrative uh, for his investment funds in the mainstream media in the United States. And this is an example of, of, and there are numerous others you can look at, of people that are like Lanny Davis, the former Clinton uh, uh, Clinton lawyer, Clinton White House advisor, has has worked for uh, Russian oligarchs. The point is, there are a lot of establishment figures on both sides of the aisle who have made a lot of money representing these people, and now like rats jumping off the ship. Uh, they're they're sort of denouncing. Oh, this is terrible! What Putin's done. They were getting paid up until uh, those tanks pierced the border, uh, and even then they waited a few days to say, "Oh, okay, we're gonna uh, we're gonna sort of sever our relations." You know, Eric, uh, financial sanctions are fine and good. Um, the Biden administration said that the threat of imposing them, the mere threat would deter Putin from invading uh, Ukraine. In fact, those were Kamala's words in Munich. Uh, Putin invaded anyway. Did Joe Biden and, and, frankly, Tony Blinken and everybody in his administration overestimate the value of belated sanctions? I mean, I, I, it's going to hurt Russians more than Putin, who I suspect doesn't give a damn, Uh, And after all, he spent years, I think, stockpiling currency reserves and devising ways to circumvent trade restrictions because he knew this was going to happen. He's a smart guy. 
I just want to point out, I think Peter's questions have been easier, Greg. So, uh, no, I, uh, what, what, one of my favorite uh, phrases is that never mistake incompetence for conspiracy. And so, I, but unfortunately, I think when it comes to what you just mentioned in terms of the Biden administration policy towards Russia, I think unfortunately we have a little bit of both, right? I think we are incompetent in terms of our lack of awareness or understanding of what the threat of financial sanctions would do clearly, because as you noted, they didn't work and Biden, or excuse me, Putin did in fact invade Ukraine. But then I think we also have a bit of conspiracy because as we noted, like the financial sanctions, like how interested are we really in keeping them from doing this? We're not so interested. We haven't executed the one major financial sanction that we would potentially do, which is to stop buying their oil. And I think as there's a lot of reasons for that because the connections that we have to the people in charge of selling us Russia's oil are unfortunately a little bit too strong. And then, you know, I think it's an excellent point you make about the, the Russian people. On some level, you want to be like, well, hey, if ultimately what he does, if, if Russian people can't access their money in these banks because the Western banks have shut down access to it, you kind of want to be like, okay, well, that seems like that would be a deterrent until you remember that Russian elections are rigged. And <laughs> so there isn't really yeah. the Democrat, yeah. you know, there's not like that lever of democracy. So it's almost like we can't, we forget because we've allowed Vladimir Putin to put on the clothes of a Western Demo Democrat leader, right? We've allowed him to put on the, the clothes of, oh, he does business with Silicon Valley. Oh, he sells us mm -hmm. oil. He does all these things. He must be a reasonable guy. It actually reminds me, I don't know if you remember um, the movie Gangs of New York with uh, oh, Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio, right? And so there's that scene, and Daniel Day-Lewis does a great job of being Bill the Butcher, and there's that scene when this is, it's a great story of America because it's this, we're emerging as this democracy and we're conducting elections. And of course there's some election hijinks, but the guy that plays like the warring, he's trying to emerge as a leader and Bill the Butcher doesn't really like him. And Bill the Butcher shows up at his house and he goes like, come on in, Bill. We're going to settle this like men. We're a democracy now. And he turns his back and they walk in the house and Bill the Butcher just cleaves him in the back of the head with the ax. Right, 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 right. <laughs> like I think that's how, like, that's how we've been treating Putin. Yeah. And Putin's just cleaving us in the head, or cleaving, right. unfortunately, Ukraine, and yeah. as a result of sanctions, his people. Yeah. You know what I hated about that movie? Nobody ever took a shower. I mean, it was really... <laughs> these, these were just disgusting people who didn't bathe back in the day. Greg, and I was going to say... You know, I was going to say, I think you should do a movie podcast, but if those are going to be your takes on films, I don't think you should, actually. <laughs> I think you're well-positioned in the legal front. Greasy hair, and they put their hats on to cover the greasy hair. I, it's just yeah, disgusting. Yeah, good acting, nice romance, no bathing. Greg right. gives it a thumbs down. God, people have to bathe, for God's sake. All right. Um, so, Peter, uh, Putin represents quite clearly, the evils of authoritarianism and tyranny. And you know, I'm not suggesting for one moment that American troops should go into Ukraine, start fighting Russians. There's no appetite for that. And, and Ukraine's right. not a member of NATO, so there's no Article 5 obligation to come to their defense. Nobody wants to risk an escalation into a nuclear war. I get that. But it strikes me that Biden's handling of this situation was way too little too late. I mean, Zelensky was begging for more effective weaponry. And what Biden offered was woefully inadequate. This, this was the point uh, that General Jack King was making just the other day. I mean, if you're going to stand up for the principles of democracy and freedom, as as Biden claimed he was doing in his State of the Union address when he wasn't calling uh, Ukrainians Iranians. <laughs> um, I digress. Don't you have to do more? Oh, absolutely. There's no question. I mean, imagine this for a second. And, and this is all predicated, of course, on the fact that it matters who delivers this message. I mean, you, you made the point, you know, Kamala Harris said, you know, sanctions will threats of sanctions would be enough. It might have been if that threat was delivered by somebody who had credibility uh, like a Donald Trump or a Ronald Reagan, even old Bill Clinton in the 90s, if he had threatened it. The problem is when that message is delivered by Joe Biden, it's lacking a credibility. But just imagine before the invasion, if the message to Vladimir Putin had been, look, uh, you know, I'm going to be clear about this. If you go in, we are going to sanction everything and 
we are going to give the Ukrainian military and any insurgents that remain every single conceivable weapon that is going to help them bloody you as much as possible. I mean, this is Ronald Reagan's playbook, the Reagan doctrine, right? We're not going to send troops into Nicaragua. We're not going to send them in Afghanistan, but we are going to arm people fighting for their own freedom. If that had been the message rather than, Oh, you know, don't do this. We might have to impose sanctions. I really do think that, that Putin could have been deterred. And what you're seeing happening right now, Greg is, there's a spin taking place. And the spin is Vladimir Putin was a kind of a rational guy. Maybe he was a thug, but he's just gone crazy the last couple of years. We don't recognize him anymore. I, I'm not buying that. I, I do believe Putin could have been deterred. The reason we're hearing the crazy man narrative is it allows them to say, well, there's really nothing we could have done to prevent this uh, this uh, invasion. And absolutely, I'm convinced if it had been a firm hand delivered by somebody with credibility, um, we could have deterred this and prevented this from happening. So then do you think the reason we didn't deter it from happening and didn't deliver a more credible message is because of how readily accessible and how much Russian money or linked Russian money we have consumed? I mean, do you think we potentially lack the appetite to like really have the courage of our convictions on that front? I think it's money, but I also think uh, Joe Biden has always been consistently bad when it comes to use of force. Remember, he was opposed to taking out Osama bin Laden. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a fundamental consistent problem uh, with Joe Biden in the way that he views the world. It's, it's the old uh, term, Greg, you remember mirror imaging. When you have leaders who think that the other leader sees the world the way that they do. And I think we have the same problem as it relates to um, Joe Biden's views on China. He, well, he says he's making the same mistake with Xi that he's making yeah. with Putin. Well, who was it that said Joe Biden's been wrong on every foreign policy issue? Bob for the last- Gates. Yes. <laughs> Bob Gates, former Secretary of Defense for uh, both Republicans and Democrats. And, and the guy, he, he is vastly experienced. And you're right. He said Joe Biden has been wrong about every foreign policy and national security issue for the last four decades. <laughs> and as I said, as I said in my opening remarks, well, Biden's record is still perfect. <laughs> Make that 42 years, right? Instead yeah. of 40 years. Yeah. Uh, you know, Eric, um, once Putin achieves his goal in Ukraine, he will, I suspect, begin setting his sights elsewhere in Eastern Europe. That, I mean, this has the makings of a geopolitical catastrophe. And as courageous as the Ukrainians have been in resisting, you know, this violent Russian onslaught, I mean, the Ukrainian forces, their weaponry, are no match for Putin's massive military and his advanced weapon systems. So, I, you know, I'm sort of wondering as I wind down our conversation here, wh- where do we see this thing going? It's a good question, Greg. You know, we have a lot of really smart people that work here at the Government Accountability Institute, and some of them pay a lot of attention to this stuff. And we were having a conversation actually recently over lunch, and I asked them, I was like, what do you think Putin's endgame is? And, and, you know, these are young people, but they, I think they are committed Russian scholars, and they think that Putin's goal is to have his legacy be restoring the former Soviet Union. And so I think to your point, um, you know, that's not a tempting prospect. And I think the fact that he's been met with not a ton of overt militaristic or physical resistance, um, you know, we've threatened financial sanctions. Yeah, it, it doesn't know that it's, it's been a profound disincentive. So you're right. You'd like to see a, a ramp up. Um, I think Peter's wondered if, if it's too late, right? Because we've been two decades of just letting him kind of get along and get away with whatever he's wanted to uh but i i do hope that eventually that the increasing in the ratcheting level of european alignment and i think even the united states is maybe being dragged into some of this it does seem like we're slowly but surely gaining in terms of our level of tolerance for resistance you know peter final question uh vladimir putin as i think you've pointed out is a he's a creature of communism and the old Soviet oppressive system. And Russia at large will never emerge from that death grip until Putin and those just like him are neutralized. 
I'm not sure how that happens. What are the chances of Russians eventually rising up against Putin and accomplishing the equivalent of a palace coup overthrowing Vladimir Putin, the tyrant? Uh, I think it's certainly a possibility. I mean, the challenge is that a lot of the Russian leadership, of course, in the military and elsewhere are are Putin cronies. Uh, and in fact, I would argue that's one of the reasons the Russian military has not performed particularly well in Ukraine uh, is because, and of course, Stalin did the same thing, other Soviet leaders, uh, they tend to purge independent, creative, competent people. Uh, so it's very hard to imagine it happening, but I think things are going to continue to get more difficult for Putin. Um, this seems to really have tapped into a root, particularly in Europe. I mean, what we've gotten from the Biden administration is basically what we expected. The big surprise to me has been Europe. The Germans are rearming. Uh, the European Union is sending military equipment, including reportedly Stinger missiles, to Ukraine. I mean, if you had mentioned that to anybody two months ago, they would have laughed. So I think that we're seeing great resolve from the Europeans. That's the big surprise. I think that things are going to really start to hurt in Russia, the average American. And I do think that there are uh, uh, officials there concerned by what Putin did. I, I noticed, I don't know if you saw the video, Greg, when Putin announced he was raising the nuclear alert status of, of uh, Russian forces. And he announced it, and there were two high-ranking generals sitting next to him. Mm -hmm. uh, they did not look particularly pleased. They looked shocked. <laughs> they didn't look particularly happy. Like, um, we yeah. missed an email somewhere. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I think I yeah. think there I think that the, the, there is possibility uh, that he is vulnerable, and let's hope and pray that something like that happens because if it does that's an opportunity for um this war to come to an end and the suffering of the ukrainian people uh to to end yeah well said well said peter schweitzer eric eggers uh both of the government accountability institute many thanks for joining me today i appreciate it always a pleasure greg thank you greg and that's the brief i'm greg jarrett